thank you for your company and welcome to an episode of Education Vision 2020. This is a series where we talk with education experts because the success of edification will certainly impact our future as a country, society and a community. Countless amounts of research have shown that the quality of education directly impacts an individual's health and opportunities, but also prosperity of a country. Listen to this Education Vision 2020 series and you'll learn what is being done to cement a prosperous future in Australia. Right now, we're with the leadership team of St. Thomas More College, Sunnybank. We'll uh, meet everybody here at the leadership team. We'll start with the principal, Les Conroy. Les Conroy, introduce yourself. Uh, g'day, Andrew. My name's Les Conroy, Principal of St Thomas More College. Uh, I've been leading this community now for three years, going into my fourth, and uh, and I lead it with a, a great group of people which you're all about to meet. Yeah, Scott Booth, I'd say you're one of those great people that Les just referred to. Introduce yep. yourself. Absolutely. Spot on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hi, Andrew. I'm, I'm Scott Booth. Um, uh, my real job here is uh, Assistant Principal administration and systems. I look after the um, information services, IT, student data management, timetabling at the college. I've been here a while now, since about 2011, and I've done a range of jobs in academic leadership and pastoral leadership over that time. Yeah, Nathan Camilleri. Hello, Andrew. How are you? I'm um, the assistant principal for senior year, so my, my role is uh, across the students of year 10 through to 12. Um, primarily in, uh, in two areas of pastoral and the curriculum side of the, the school for the senior students. Uh, work pretty closely with Stacey with um, a lot of those things, our curriculum division, uh, division, our vision, I guess, is moving forward. Uh, and also then looking at the, uh, the pastoral side and working with a really great group of pastoral leaders in there as well. Stacey, you got to mention? <laughs> yes, I'm uh, Nathan's partner in crime. I'm the assistant principal for the middle school, the year sevens, eights and nines. And I also am heavily involved in uh, improving excellent learning and teaching here at, this, at the college with our teachers. Yeah, and Jeff. G'day, Andrew. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of acting assistant principal of administration and systems at, at present, but I've uh, been at the college for five years. And uh, of that time up until up until uh, recently, I've been a pastoral leader here at the college. Yeah, John Thomas. Andrew, um, I'm the assistant principal of religious education. Um, it's my second job here, really, because my first eight years, um, I was the curriculum deputy. Um, which was an oddity, really, because I think it was the only one in existence at that stage, because deputies were really doing other things. Um, but now I'm, um, for the, of the last while, I've been Assistant Principal of Religious Education, so responsible for religion curriculum um, at the moment in the senior years. Um, but also, I guess, most of my responsibility is about the religious life of the school and the spirituality that, that, um, that flows from that. Yeah, let's Conroy, let's get a look at uh, education, the landscape of it now. It's uh, in a period of transition. Uh, we're talking about things like ATAR and, uh, you know, changes in approaches to uh, learning, but where is it right now? Well, it's a pretty exciting time. I think you've been very kind saying transition. It's probably disruption is, is probably a better term. Um, but I think in Queensland it's in a very exciting um, place to be with the transition or disruption from OP to ATAR. Uh, I think the ATAR system uh, is looking uh, fantastic for Queensland, very level um, for us, puts us on an even playing field with other states, brings us into a line with other states, uh, and it, I think it'll also help students ultimately uh, move across borders uh, a lot more easily. 
So when we look at the world stage and education, in your view, um, knowing and you're very data-driven, uh, where do you see Australia and then Queensland and then the local community of St Thomas More College sitting? Yeah. I think uh, particularly if you want to take NAPLAN uh, as, a, as a benchmark, and, and I know a lot of people talk about it being a high-stakes sort of standardised testing. Uh, for us, we take NAPLAN um, particularly serious as a benchmark uh, to look and as a snapshot to see how we're going. Uh, and if we take it from that perspective and do comparative data with, um, you know, across the state and across the national, Queensland, I think because of the energy that sits behind it uh, in wanting to improve and grow uh, students' learning and value add to it, uh, is put it, uh, positioning itself uh, quite nicely compared to other states. So I think Queensland is doing quite well for itself. Yeah, and for you as the principal, you've been here for a little while now and uh, you've put a few programs in place uh, which you're seeing some results out of. Can you just tell us about some of those? Yeah, and look, I think um, Stacey and Scott in particular uh, can talk more to it. Uh, I get to do the proud parent bit uh, and talk about some of the stats. I get to you know, say these are the highlights. Um, some of the stuff that we're doing, uh, we know that we've got excellent results in growth uh, across the state uh, and puts us in the top 12% uh, of schools in Queensland for, for value adding in NAPLAN, which we're very proud of. And that comes down to the hard work of the teachers, the hard work of, of this team here, uh, and also the, the parent support that we have uh, that supports us at home with our reading and writing programs and our academic performance. And uh, yeah, uh, Stacey and Scott can talk more about uh, that we read more and we write more. Yeah, Scott, you've been dobbed in, uh, right. you and Stacey, but Scott, if you kick it off, um, this program that Les Conroy just mentioned, which mm. was the read more, which then also leads onto the write more, for you it was very data-driven. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we it, it forms a, a bigger picture of uh, excellent learning and teaching um, initiative that the, the college has been working through in recent years. And I guess the we read more initiative started in 2017 was really a bit of a, a, a symbolic figurehead of, of that that pushed us forward in this space where we saw uh, our data and we saw areas where we wanted to improve and um, the program was really simple it, we call it a revolution but in some ways it wasn't revolutionary it was a way where students um, who have become disengaged with reading. A lot of adolescents uh, are really good readers up until they hit those adolescent years um, where we made sure every day they're reading, they're reading for pleasure and that reading becomes a normal thing that kids do in school. Um, that's how it started and we saw bumps in our data from that but also um, it became a bit of a, um, as I said, a bit of a symbolic um, um, program for us around a wider push for excellent learning and teaching and then that led into we write more. Yeah, let's drill into that a little bit more but I just want to, you've mentioned the word symbolic a couple of times and that that was really tied to the launch of the we read more. Um, John Thomas, I just want to jump to you for a moment because symbolism, uh, you work a lot around uh, symbolism. Can you just tell us how important that is for a student's mindset to maybe be successful at something, uh, maybe not just specifically to read more, but mm. just in, uh, you know, starting uh, to change maybe a habit in their life, which in this case has been reading. Yeah, look, it, um, the um, kind of backing on from what Scott was saying, you know, the uh, the fact that you you put it, I'm going to say use the term, put it in their face and say, look, this is we we value this, and. Um, 
I, I don't know. I think most of the data is anecdotal from the, the we read more because, you know, you, you, we're not testing, in, you know, that in, in the same way you might test through NAPLAN or through the, the writing that Stacey will talk about shortly. But the fact that we, that we, um, we went to all that effort um, to launch it, we had everyone up there in servant court all reading and it was an, an incredible thing to see, really. Um, but then it went into the classroom. And so the expectation that students would have a book, um, even that is symbolic. You know, um, I go into senior classes and, you know, in, in the afternoon kids get out their book and you think, you know, I don't have, you don't have to say anything. And, and so what's happening is the kids pick up on it and they pick up on the energy that, that um, you know, Scott and Les particularly in the beginning um, put out to them. Look, this, we think this is important. This is going to make a difference to you. And I know, like through parent-teacher interviews, and you know, kids will, you know, parents will turn up, and their kids can't spell, and you know, um, they say, "Oh, we'll, we'll do spelling lists." And I say, "No, no, don't do spelling lists. Read. You know, they need to read. If they read, they see language written properly, they see words spelled correctly, and then they pick up on that. So the reading is critical to almost everything else that they do. But symbolically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to really establish." the critical importance of this one aspect. Um, um, if only it flowed as, as nicely from that we read more into the spirituality stuff, which, you know, because there's a whole other space there. But certainly, um, certainly that's the thing for me. Um, it's about the fact that we held it as important and the kids picked up on that. And the parents as well. The parent, parents were right on board. So, Stacey, uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on the we read more, mm. we write more. Uh, it seems to be central and important to the college. Uh, what sort of support have you had and how's the program rolled out from your perspective? Um, I was really lucky when I arrived at the start of last year to have St um, Scott start such a great program and it was just a natural flow on for me to um, extend that into uh, the we, read, uh, re we Write More in the morning. Um, we're very lucky here that we have such a wonderful group of staff that are just really, really willing to take on whole school initiatives like this and it wouldn't work in every school but here it's worked exceptionally well. Um, every morning for 10 minutes when the students get to school they, they write. The writing is connected to the curriculum that they're learning in the classroom at the moment. So in maths they're writing about maths. In science they're writing about science. It's not just a journal where they're writing about their weekend. So it's really uh, emphasising the language and the um, knowledge in those particular curriculum areas. Um, and so the teachers don't see it as taking away from their time uh, for their subject area. They're actually enhancing that and um, incorporating those skills. So you're um, getting right in as the students arrive uh, from primary school, this their start into secondary school, you're getting them right at that point and you're uh, making sure that those foundations are built for reading and writing, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Um, we've got a, a really good transition program for the year sevens that come into our school and right from the word go, uh, they're very heavily into our writing and reading programs. Uh, this year we introduced um, the Write That Essay online tool for our year seven students, which is a really fun interactive um, uh, writing tool where they write about a concept that the teacher has um, uh, de decided for them and they spin little wheels and they click on little things and it gives them prompts to improve their writing which they just love, they really love it. Um, next year the, the writing tool is going to be even better and it will 
actually give them hints and edit their work and they can improve it uh, in that way as well. Yeah, I think we're going to be talking a fair bit about technology, particularly when we start looking at the vision. Um, now, Stacey, while you take care of the middle years, Nathan, you take care of the senior years. This hard work that gets done in those middle years, how do the senior years benefit? Yeah, I think it's it's really important. You know, part of the uh, the Super Six strategy is that we're working on kids' imagination. They're they're sort of seeing the words, they're hearing the words. They they they've got a vision that it's part of that as well. And that's um that's an important part of working their way through the senior years as well. That there's a number of different ways that the kids are assessed, and, and part of that imagination obviously helps to extend. Uh, their own writing and, and look at new ideas and part of their research and innovation and collaboration and all those sorts of things. So it, it branches out a little bit further than just being able to write better. It's uh, it's being able to be able to look at something which is a vision as they're working their way through their, their assessment pieces, looking at different ways of being able to present. Um, you know, it extends really well into a whole heap of different areas and when they're starting to think about how am I possibly going to sketch this idea for someone to be able to understand. So it, it, it really does sort of, you know, there's different facets to it, I guess. It's not just about writing in, in a better way. It's, it's understanding different ways and seeing things in, in a whole new light. Yeah, that's a really good point. Scott, with um, the we read more, we write more, that doesn't just help with English results, does it? No, absolutely not. And we still, you know, in our education system, we're still very literacy-based. Yep. At the end of the day, uh, especially in the senior years, uh, students need to be able to write. They need to be able to uh, deconstruct exam questions and respond to that. Uh, so regardless of, of, of all the, the technology we use, and we, we use technology, I think, really well, at the end of the day, we can't forget those basics. And we need to make sure that we have a foundation in those and we use um, other innovations to value add, uh, not to replace those really fundamental basics of education. And to some extent, um, some of the assessment in the new in the new ATAR subjects, the general subjects, is actually much more literacy based mm, than than it, than it was in the in the, the I'm going to say the old system. So there were there were many other options in terms of multimodals and orals, um, many of which have been taken out in the new system. So um, and that's been replaced by by exams and, mm. and, and, uh, and assignments. So is this, did the college preempt this with the ATAR system com, you know, coming onto the horizon or was this something where there were other reasons that you took it on and now you've got the benefit of it positioning you really well for the ATAR it system? It could be a bit of both. We like to think we preempted it. Uh, certainly it became clear to us in the planning for the new system that students would have to write a lot more. It was far more rigorous. They would have exams that were that were longer and involved um, far more academic rigour, I guess, than, than perhaps they had before. We knew that they needed to give them opportunities for extended writing, and that's why from year seven they do that every day. Because we actually had a look at, especially in some middle years classes, and you know, at some time students could go through a day and they might have a particular arrangement of subjects where they may, not, may go through a whole day without writing a whole lot. Yeah. And we thought, that's probably not good. <laughs> well, we need to make sure we gazette that time every day so that they are doing that in a sustained way. So, so far we've been talking about the results of reading and writing and the improvements of that within school life. How does this benefit a student going through and then uh, graduating college and maybe wanting to go to university or picking a career or some other vocation? It's, I guess when we're looking at those sorts of things, it's not just... Um, 
the reading and the writing, which are, are central to everything. We, mm. we, particularly in the new system, we're starting to look at things, what they call the 21st century skills. So it's, it's being uh, a, a problem solver, it's being a critical thinker, it's being able to communicate with other people, it's about being able to understand challenges. So um, the reading and the writing, I guess, are, the, are our bedrock to, to all of it, but it's all those other skills which go with that as well. So it's that, that use of technology, it's the use of innovation, uh, being able to problem solve. When the students can read well, when they can write well, they can ex express themselves a lot better as well. So, you know, they can start bringing in those other skills and they can and work their way through, obviously, in those senior years. So that when they do graduate, then they're not just walking out with um, a good educational set, they're actually w walking out with a series of skills which are going to help them vocationally as well. Yeah. Now, Jeff, you've been a, a bit quiet. I just want to learn a little <laughs> bit more about what it is that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm only recently in the role in terms of um, administration and systems, and um, so very little in, in, in that part so far. But oh, I guess I can talk to some of these things, some of these programs instilled um, in terms of pastoral perspective as well. So, um, you know, one of the things we notice is sometimes that, that reading can be it, – it's – death by chapter questions, you know, and parents must feel that doing homework with, with the kids as well through, through primary school. And I think bringing that back and, and number one about reading for enjoyment, and, and that's what it's really about and, and lots of students would enjoy that. And I guess the other side from a pastoral perspective is that, that idea of some academic confidence around what they're doing. The fact that when they get into these um, senior situations where they're required to, to, you know, write things within restricted times, They've had that experience from doing it every single morning with their We Write More. And I think that just we can then say to them, you know, you've done this before. You know, you'll be right heading into that. And it just does wonders for the self-esteem as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Les Conroy, we talk regularly. You're, uh, re you're into vision. You look to the future. Vision 2020, where do you see the college going? That's uh, a big question, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's huge because it probably depends on which angle you come in at. Um, yep. We've got many balls in the air, uh, which we're juggling to try and bring together, uh, but each one of them are, uh, are critical on the other. So the semiotics between them is, is quite important. You know, we talk about ATAR, we talk about curriculum, um, you know, we should talk about vet pathways. At, underlying all of the, the curriculum side of it is about making sure that when a student graduates from here, uh, like all schools, they're confident, they're competent, they're resilient, and they're ready to um, to launch themselves into the into the, a bright future. That's what we want. Um, so everything we do drives towards that. Um, the other parts of it is making sure that we've got a campus that's it's inviting, it's contemporary, uh, and it's a great place to be. Uh, we want parents that feel engaged and welcome uh, within a community. We want staff to feel uh, welcomed and cared for within the community. We want students to feel welcomed and cared for within uh, our community. So it's making sure that everything we do uh, has multiple lenses uh, cast over it uh, to make sure that what we do here at school uh, gives students and families the best opportunities to be successful, whatever that might be. So a question absolutely without notice, and I want to go right round the room on this one. Um, how do you think, because you mentioned the, cam the campus needs to be contemporary. Uh, we'll start with you, Les, so you can um, set the tone on this. But uh, 10, 15 years' time, with the way technology is moving, the way people are communicating with each other, the way um, people are learning, uh, how do you think campuses are going to look, say, 10, 15, 20 years' time? Yeah, I don't think they're going to look like classrooms. 
as we see them today. Um, I think students will come and go from a, from a campus uh, based on where they're at in their learning and, and what uh, subjects they want to do. Um, I see more virtual reality uh, being uh, used so the student may be at home. But what we want them, a bit like universities are today, so they've changed even the way they become social hubs uh, within a community and that's probably what we are driving towards ultimately um, at school is becoming a social hub where they can come and connect with teachers, connect with other people, their peers uh, as learners um, within this community of STMC and that's I think ultimately where we see it. So our campus will change, it'll be more open space, um, it may be more cafe style uh, learning, um, open spaces, group spaces, uh, all that sort of stuff. I, I think we'll probably start to see the beginning of the end of the four walls within a classroom. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite exciting. What about the, and like there are schools that have variations, but by and large the nine to three, do you think that will stay? Yeah, I think we're starting to see that now. Um, you know, we, attendance is a big thing. And when you drill down, there are some students that have genuine uh, issues around attendance. Um, but I think also that we might be starting to see a beginning of voting with feet to saying, well, actually, um, I think I can do this differently. I've got a different pathway. Uh, you know, we've already got students that would do multiple pathways with TAFE and the workplace and school. So they're already at three different locations throughout the, um, a normal week anyway. Uh, and I think that's what will change. And that's what we will have to um, grapple with as a profession um, not just us as an organisation, but as a profession uh, moving forward. Scott Booth, your thoughts? I was just thinking, you know, even today, you would never say that our school is a nine to three school. And, no. and that's, you know, most modern schools. We, we have students here from 7, 7.30 in the morning engaging in, um, you know, practice for our marching band uh, or the ensembles. We have students here till five in every day um, and homework club and a range of tutorials. Plus, throughout the day, um, I've actually never been in a school where there's so much that students can do in, to engage in the life of, of the college beyond the classroom. And I think that's something about what the future of education could be because mm. you can't deny that real quality learning's happening during those times. We've got 1,000 students here. Um, the last bit of data we had is almost 700 are involved in uh, co-curricular activities. And it's wow. not just sport. You know, back in the day, I, that's footy training. It's not that at all. You know, I, I run a Minecraft club three times a week where a very niche group of students are involved <laughs> in that. John has a, a massive range of um, social justice, spirituality activities every single week that another group of students are engaged in that way. And I think that's the future of education in many ways. And that's the relational, you know, education at the end of the day is relational. Mm. And I don't, I don't think that our community is going to let us be a nine to three uh, operation no. when we've got a multi-million dollar facility. Mm. Um, mm. I, I think the, the pressure from our community is going to be such that they're going to insist that the doors don't get locked at 3.30 mm. and no one can access the facility. So mm. I think we're going to see that shift. We're already talking um, next year for when the, um, the first round of external exams happen um, in the ATAR system about operating differently. Where, where we'll be running tutorials and, the, you know, that we, we, don't, we don't even know what that's going to look like yet, except we, we need to be talking about it and we need to have something in place because it's, it's, it's a different space to where we've been. I've, I've been teaching 40 years. That's nothing like what I've experienced in a number of different systems right up to today. And so we're now, we're breaking new ground. And I guess, you know, Nathan might want to pick up and talk about some of that 
Yeah, look, I guess one example of that would be, particularly in our, our vocational studies areas now, where we're, we're starting to look at some students who are, they will be in a classroom, but they'll be in a classroom with a, a virtual reality headset on and the, the class will be beamed from another, mm. another space. Um, Brisbane Catholic Education actually across a number of different campuses, actually you'll have um, one school that might be hosting, let's say, a study of religion uh, as, a, as a subject and then there'll be four or five other classes or other schools that would be tapping into that same same lesson happening. Um, so things are definitely changing. You know, the, the old idea of the teacher up the front, the student sitting at the desk is well and truly going to change. I think in time we'll end up seeing more collaborative spaces happening. Yep. Yep. Um, classes will range in numbers, whether they, they're actually sitting in class or they might be in a different site. Um, you know, more time for students actually to be working together to be able to, to solve problems mm. that they might be dealing with in the classroom. Um, there are flipped classrooms around the place that these days where the students are actually leading the, the learning within the classroom itself, um, all guided by, by teachers. Um, I think the traditional site of a school will well and truly change. And, it'll be very quick, I think, you know, in the next maybe five to ten years we will see things very different probably here. Mm. Um, but I would say as an educational setting moving across in different areas, it, it is well and truly the sky's the limit at the moment. Yeah. Well, we're seeing it with, with workplaces at the moment, aren't we? So many yeah. changes within workplaces, in office spaces, it's gone away from having individual offices to open walls and people working collaboratively. Mm. So. If, if schools are microcosms of society, we're going to see that happen here too as well, aren't we? Do you think that, uh, for you, Stacey, do you think that the change that's been talked about it seems to have a um, uh, more of a focus on the senior side of the school, do you think that change is going to be as drastic for the, for the middle years as well? Um, it certainly will be. Anything that happens in the senior school needs to be reflected in the middle school as, as well. We look very carefully at what's required for the senior students and we try to map that back and prepare them as, as well as we can. Um, we've been talking a lot about the, the walls of the classroom and for a very long time um, teaching has been a very private practice and you don't often get to visit other people's classrooms and see what they're doing. But it's really quite a shame because... Um, People are very diverse in their teaching styles and their knowledge and especially with the use of technology. Some are more confident, some are still learning and we can really learn a lot from each other and that's one of the spaces that we'll be moving into next year with a shared practice program. Um, in the shared practice program where getting teachers to identify a particular area um, of the affected and expected practices which they think that they would like to learn more about and then pairing them up with a teacher that is confident in that area and giving them time to go and visit that teacher in the classroom and learn something from each other. So it sounds like there's going to be more flexibility introduced into the way students uh, learn but as you introduce more flexibility, how do you ensure that maybe a student has got something going on in their personal life or um, some other underlying issue and that starts to impact their learning? How do you make sure that you still, with all of that flexibility, they don't get lost in that flexibility, so to speak, so it gets identified and you can maybe bring them into a more structured arena so that they can be put back on track? And I think that's where pastoral care is key. And it's the same old story and it's been uh, forever and a day, relationships, 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 and it'll be so key. And that's where I think the social aspect of the school with the co-curricular life will be that connection point um, because you, you, there's so many variations to how you can access the curriculum. Um, but that social aspect of co-curricular 
will be where relationships are formed with peers, with teachers uh, and with families. And I think that'll be the connection point that will become more and more critical. Uh, and if I could just bring back to um, back onto what Stacey said, one of the students that we're working with now is at a primary school. He's in year four. I think he'd been bumped up from year three. He he's skipped year a year four. and went to year four. Wow. Um, so he probably should be in year three, but he's in year four now. Uh, they approached us as a school and said, you know, he's really quite gifted in his maths uh, and he's at the school's found its limits. So he's already doing year six maths now uh, and he's, you know, getting straight A's and he's coping with it and he's finding it quite boring. What can you do for high school? Where if you go back just even five, six years ago, we would have gone, oh, no, yeah. can't help you. Mm. Uh, or we would have said, oh, no, he has to be here in high school, has to be in front of a teacher uh, for us to be able to actually evaluate and move him forward. Where it was interesting just even the conversation was, oh, yeah, actually, we can do something here. We can actually um, do podcasts. We can use OneNote. We can use Skype. We can use um, um, Swivel. All of a sudden, with the technology and, the, and our thinking, um, there's no limits as to what we can actually engage in. And I think that was probably the first insight into how things could be different uh, in the in the classroom moving forward. This student will attend our school, but probably for 18 months won't come near us. So for a parent that's listening to this and they're going, hang on, I've got a child that's gifted, it might be in, in reading or writing or, or science or, or math, should they be reaching out, like if their child is in uh, primary school, if they're thinking this resonates, should they be reaching out to uh, say St Thomas More College and going, hey, can there be something done? I just don't think the child's being extended at this point. I think what we're here open to is thinking differently. Um, can we accommodate? Can we help? Um, you know, what can we do to engage? Uh, all of us got into teaching for one reason, and that was to value add to what students do and, and can do uh, in life. So we're open uh, to different ways of doing things. But at the same time, the parents have got to be open to there might be some limitations as we learn these things and as we move forward um, that we can't go from naught to 100 straight away. We might have to take steps um, to work with our limitations um, and stretch. But we're, we're open and we're prepared to stretch ourselves in order to find new frontiers. The college right now is going through the process of preparing for graduations for the year 12s this year. What sort of jobs and careers are they looking at in, in their uh, future? Um, yeah, you could probably come up with an easy question really, Andrew. It's, <laughs> they're, they're quite varied. Um, we, we have students who will go all around the state to go to university for, uh, for different areas. Yep. Um, we have some students who are looking at medicine, obviously, in the engineering uh, areas. Uh, we've got students who are currently working out. They're, they're already, they've already started their apprenticeships or traineeships, like most colleges already have. Um, they're quite varied. We, we look at our, particularly our year 12 group that we've got at the moment, they're very talented. They're, they're a good bunch of kids. They're, um, they're going out and they're, they're going to be looking at doing a lot of different things, I guess, over their time. So to, to try and pinpoint any particular area where they're going to go into, it would be very difficult to be able to do that because they are very diverse in their, their aspirations. Um, but they'll do well. Yeah. And, but the reality too with these, this, this group of kids and, and, and subsequent groups is that they won't have this one job forever. And unlike me, you know, they'll take me out of here in a box, but um, these kids are going to change careers. So not just change jobs, but change careers. And they're, they're talking five to mm. seven mm. Uh, across their lifetime, their work lifetime. So, they, so really when, you know, Nathan and Stacey talked about the skill set that kids get 
um, as part of their educational process here. That's really the critical thing. So this first job they go to or this first study or apprenticeship is the first one. And that's going to lead them to another one and another one and another one. And, and we, we, we don't even know what that's going to look like, no. except we know that's going to be the reality. And yeah. end of the day, the, the results will get them into where they want to go to, but the skills are what's going to help them succeed. Yeah. So, you know, to be able to equip those kids and make sure that they're ready, that they do have those skills, the, the communication, the innovation, the, the being able to uh, problem solve, be critical thinkers, all that sort of thing, that, that's probably the most important part. They're walking out and they're feeling confident in, in who they are and knowing that, that next step, whether it be the right one at this stage or if they look at something, you know, six months, 12 months or, or five years down the track, that at least they're still carrying that same skill set to be able to deal with those issues mm. as they come up and be able to succeed in whatever it is that they, they put their hands and, to. And, and we're not alone in that. Like, I'm on a committee at the University of Queensland we're in the Bachelor of Arts and we've been talking about the skill set that a Bachelor of Arts student has and, and what makes them employable. So yeah. it's not just about getting them into the degree, it's actually about considering um, what's going to follow and what's going to value add. So while they might, there might be, I think there are 14 possible majors and 14 possible minors um, in a Bachelor of Arts degree, um, those things have become inconsequential in terms of, well, what's the skill set? Because employees are after the skill set. They're really not after, you know, I've done this course or I've done this course. So what, what do you bring? What are you going to bring to the workforce? That's you know, the, the degree is important that's because right. that's, that's what, you know, we're still operating like that. But the skill set that, that, that comes with that is really critical. And I can tell you that the University of Queensland, like every other institution, that's their conversation. So they're not really interested in we're just going to pour out these doctors or these engineers. It's more than that now. Um, and they're a bit slow. They're a lot slower than we are at, at a school level because they're such a huge institution that, that you know, things grind really slowly, but the conversation's there. Hmm. And one of the things that we're finding, is just even from a few years ago, is eSports. Um, it was never spoken about. Now, all of a sudden... Um, okay, you need to explain to us yeah. what's eSports. <laughs> Anything electric. Um, <laughs> I'm showing my age. Um, so, uh, gaming... Um, uh, Drone racing, um, anything digital and technology-wise, I suppose it'd be a good way of summing it up. Um, but if you said, if a student came to us three or four years ago uh, and said, "I want to become a professional gamer," you know, we'd have gone, "Nah, it's time to get a real job." Yeah. Um, now it's actually a legitimate pathway. Um, people are making good money um, out of um, you know esports, and gaming is one of them. Uh, you know, there's marketing around it, so people can go into very specific marketing positions around esports, um, setting up stadiums. You know, the, the computers driving uh, that sort of space. Uh, E-cycling, uh, something that we've introduced, and you know, there's a whole team of uh, people now and staff that are into e-cycling. Um, we kicked off drone racing. Um, the interest is so good. Nathan introduced um, remote pilot license as a course. Um, yeah, and, right. And that's an interesting space because. Would we have thought of that five, six years ago? Would there have been an opportunity for that? No. Now it's like there's so many opportunities around drones that that's a skill set that some people um, will need to, to move in their occupation. Um, you know, I heard a, th a comment this morning on radio that um, people are moving towards or changing careers into helicopter uh, licensing and it's become huge. Um, well, drones is really the next generation of helicopters, mm. uh, which will be piloted by people sitting in, on the ground. Mm. Uh, we're already seeing that in the military. Um, you know, it's, that's going to be a driving um, 
skill mm. uh, in the future. And I think Nathan could comment more, but it's um, for its first year of introduction, it's going to be hugely popular. It will be. It's, uh, it's a subject that um, has taken along quite a few students who will come into that next year. It's actually one of our vocational offerings. Uh, so the students will end up with a certificate two in engineering and then a certificate three in the line of sight aviation. Um, and I guess it, we're pretty well placed here. We're not that far away from Archerfield either. So we can, uh, you know, there will be points where we'll be able to take the students down. They can sort of be in a real airfield and be able to see what's happening around that area. Um, and then obviously be able to link that back to the, the course that we'll be offering here at school. So, and I, I can see that that's going to open things up a lot more. Um, you know, we'll start off, I guess, at the, with the aviation certificate. Where that takes us after that, mm. who knows? You know, it's um, you know, it, it grows wider than that as well because there are all those defence force contracts that are around the place at the moment. If we're giving the students a bit of a leg in with with some of that, then you know, they're in a good place for it, I guess. And it really highlights um, the necessity for educators now to to be open to things that we were never open to before. Mm. Um, and to to be responsive to what's happening in society. You know, I mean, um, um, I, I think of mobile phones, you know. Um, so we've, we've said no mobile phones. They're in your lockers. Now, I, I assume that within the next few years we'll revisit that yeah, because definitely. of the ability that a mobile phone gives you within, within, within an educational, you know, um, possibility. And so, I, I, so all of those things, you know, we can't be closed off. And I think, you know, schools of old were very closed, weren't they? You know, and that would have been all of our experience at mm. schools. You know, mm. we went along and what our educational experience was probably very much like our parents. And there was very little change mm. in all of that time, except we went from slates to something else. But well, you um, John up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit modern. So it's chalk. Chalk. Yeah. So you just mentioned parents. We've been talking about uh, where schools have come from, where they are now, where they're going, the changes that are afoot uh, from slates to chalk to mm. now digital boards and all of that mm. sort of stuff. What about parents? What are the changes that um, they have had to undertake and where do you see the role of parents and caregivers changing in a child's education? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, at our uh, uh, Knights of Excellence, we started this conversation a couple of years ago. Uh, parents, and we still do too, and as a society, we value those hard skills. So we say maths is really important, mm. science is really important, and they are. But the reality of when you actually dig a little bit deeper, the way we're moving, it's actually more soft skills that will actually be more highly valued. Uh, in, in the future, and that's around creative thinking. Mm. Um, and that's probably something that is probably underestimated uh, in educational circles. We talk about it, um, but I don't know if it's a, a real reality. Mm. We talk about uh, risk-taking um, is something that we is, is valued, um, but do we actually, do we reward those who do take risks? Uh, and that's an area that we have to examine and ask ourselves those questions, uh, because it's those soft skills of creativity, mm. um, solution finding, collaboration, um, and they're human skills, they're human interaction skills, which are probably not as valued as much as, well, I'm good at science, I'm good at maths, I'm good at English, I'm good at uh, these sorts of things. And I think that's will be the twist uh, that we'll have to move to in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott, you've been nodding your head and shaking yeah, your head. Yeah, I was reading an article recently where it looked at um, um, those, what was it, the, the different types of learners mm. and um, the different skills, gardeners, multiple mm. intelligence, that's what it was. Mm. So in schools, that was one of the, the paradigms that used to kick around not so long ago, the different um, intelligences that students might have. Um, and it looked at basically how AI 
artificial intelligence could replace all of those. And you could see examples of where um, artificial intelligence is replacing a lot of those skills today. Mm. The things that artificial intelligence isn't replacing are those skills like interpersonal skills, collaboration, uh, creativity, innovation. And unfortunately for us educators, that's probably the thing that we have been least attentive to. Mm. We've been least attentive to the things that robots can't replace. We need to start to be attentive to the things that robots can't replace. Yeah, and so that's, that's broader, isn't it? That's actually been a position that society has taken because I've had conversations with teachers that have, um, particularly in the creative industries, um, you know, uh, when it comes to learning how to uh, be creative with filming and telling stories and, and narrative, uh, uh, all of that sort of stuff. And they say that the students quite often, they take those subjects, but they don't take the subjects all that seriously, yet they're the very things that are going to be almost impossible. I mean, you never say impossible now with technology, but most likely impossible to replace in future with, with AI. Is it time for society to make a massive shift and maybe we talk about taking risks, but take real risk and go, okay, let's focus on those things that we haven't taken seriously before? Yeah. Critical thinking. Uh, I mean, we talk about, um, you know, one of the subjects that pops to my mind is straightaway science. Um, science should actually be the most creative subject uh, in a school because of what they can examine um, and it's, you know, it can be life-changing. Uh, but we probably stick to a very rigid notion of what science is. Um, but that's where I think creativity can absolutely take off and fly. The periodic table and things like that? Yeah. And those 21st century school, skills that Nathan mentioned earlier, they're actually uh, the underpinning skills of all the new uh, syllabus documents in Queensland. Mm. Wow, we as educators just need to uncover those skills and make sure that we're actually um, embedding them in all we do. And that's, our, that's our challenge going forward. And one of the issues we have, of course, is that the, the maths and science, particularly, are the things that are valued in the new system. So um, in, in even when we look at things like, well, the portion of external assessment, for instance, so, you know, the maths and science areas, it's 50% external assessment. And in the humanities area, where you're getting into more of those kind of areas, it's 25% external assessment. And then you get to art, and I think it's 10%. And no. so we're really not valuing, the, sorry, um, the educational system isn't valuing what we're saying is, is, is important. Um, and that's where the, that's where the hold-up is in terms of moving forward. Because at the end of the day, they, that's our master. And we, we have to play to that. And if we don't play to that, our kids are disadvantaged in terms of their first option to get to university or TAFE or whatever it is. That's right. And that, that does play in, obviously, with our, our timetable in that we, we are holistic, I guess, and the, the, the students are still working in the, in the space, particularly in middle school, that they're, they're all working in, in the arts area, they're all working in the design area. So they are you know, going into those skills, I guess, in different ways. Um, they're not streaming themselves, I guess, and, and trying to, to pick one particular area when they're quite young. Mm. Um, so it, it, it opens a lot of different things up. You know, it gives them the opportunity to be able to, to look at problem solving in a different context. So when you were sitting down and you are designing something along the lines of uh, a mobile phone for a, for a person with limited mobility, um, how does that happen? Well, what do you need to consider for that to be able to, to come about? And in a class of 30 kids, you'll have 30 different ideas as to what they're going to do. Um, all with the same, same goal in there, but 
very different pathways of actually getting to that goal. So and that's a, a really important part, I guess, to, to all education. We're, we're not limited to that. It is something that we value, obviously, and there are other schools that think the same way. But it, it's one of those skills, I guess, that in time, the, the problem-solving side of things, the critical thinking, uh, being able to work with other people in, in group dynamics, um, that will work really well going into senior, but it will work extremely well when they're working out or finishing school and going out into the world of work or going into university or going into TAFE or running their own businesses as some kids are doing when they're finishing school. So, um, Well, are know. some of the kids even waiting to start their businesses before they leave no, school? No, no, no. they've got their own businesses now. Yeah, we have, we have students who are 13, 14 years old that are running their own business types. So that's, that's happening in... Middle school, how like how has that shifted? How are you um, creating creative, problem-solving individuals that are uh, able to start businesses when they're when they're that young? Um, we're really trying to promote a gradual release of responsibility with our teachers, and um, by allowing the teachers to support the students quite heavily in the in the very very beginning of high school, and then slowly stepping back and allowing them to have more decision and um, control over the and directing of their learning, um, it really encourages them to explore things that the teacher may themselves may not have um, actually thought of. A really good example that I can think of is in a in a science class the students wanted to investigate um, how they could make plants grow and I said well uh, glow not grow um, I said why would you want to make plants glow and they said well we could plant them along the side of the road and they could replace the street lights and I just thought wow that's just an amazing idea and we talked about how they could actually achieve that and they wanted to get the highlighter fluid out of highlighters and they wanted to get the fluid out of glow sticks and they just thought of all these amazing ideas and we actually did achieve it in the end but uh, we had to do it under a, a UV light to get it to glow, but they were so excited that they'd actually achieved the glowing of the of the plant. So, yeah, it's incredible when you give them that um, opportunity and the time to explore ideas of their own, what they can actually come up with. How are we going for time? Uh, well, as much as we're innovative, we've still got bus duty. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, what we might do is we might go around and just uh, uh, look at final thoughts in relation to education. We'll uh, start with you, Scott Booth, and come around to uh, Les Conroy. Uh, so if just a few comments on uh, where you think uh, the, the education as a whole is going. Uh, I, I think, like they said, we're in a time of disruption. I think in many ways you could transplant someone from the Industrial Revolution into a classroom um, and it wouldn't look much different. I think in the next five to ten years it will look completely different and uh, it's an exciting time to be in education but um, we really need to be people who are willing for a challenge and to, to think outside the box. Um, I, I think our, our biggest challenge at the moment is to actually look at how we're going to be able to collaborate, not just within our own, within our own site but look at how we're going to be able to do that well with schools outside, with, with TAFE, with university, with parents, with a whole vast number of people that we can sort of go a little bit further with. Um, you know, we've, we've had in our careers programs with people who have come in and spoken to our students, they've picked up a little bit of knowledge there, which may not happen always because not all of our students want to listen to us all the time. Um, but there are, I think our challenge is to be able to look at our wider community and how we can have more of that coming into our classrooms. Um, and being able to see very different perspectives on, on sustainability, on innovation, on how technology can be used, um, you know, and how that then 
this apply to, to our students in their different subjects? Stacey? Um, I, I really believe that collaboration and, and shared practice of teaching is really going to get people on board and um, teachers used to teaching outside of their usual practice and exploring different ways of doing things. So it's really important that we don't leave our teachers behind in this, in this journey. And I reckon we need to, you know, we're hearing about the teachers. Sometimes we forget where, where the successes of the schooling system. So reaching outside of that, we've got to hear from some other students who have some difficulties with school as it stands and, and get their take on what education could look like. And, and parents as well who've been through the rough schooling, come out the other side and, you know, what were the skills you needed through school and, and tap into that as well. John? Um, I think this is, a, this is a hugely exciting time to be in education. Um, the... You know, we've lived through the ACARA, you know, uh, the, the, the um, bringing together of all of those jun that junior curriculum, and now we're seeing um, the development of this whole new senior system. You know, our QCS system uh, served us very well. I was part of that at the very beginning. Um, and so I kind of love it from that perspective, except it got tired and sad in, towards the end. And uh, we've now got a whole new system, which I find really exciting. And I'm, you know, I've been part of writing syllabuses and I, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a, a genuinely, we're genuinely moving forward in a, in a very positive way. Les Conroy. Yeah, Brisbane Catholic Education asks us to challenge, teach, challenge and, and transform and that should be the driver. And But we just shouldn't see being that a commitment to students. We should see that as a commitment to a community. We should see that as a commitment to our staff. We should see that as a commitment to uh, our parents, that we, we challenge each other, uh, we grow each other and we transform each other. And that's our, that's our big goal. Les Conroy, I've got one last question. Uh-oh. So you've got the e-cycling <laughs> program. As somebody e-cycles home, do they actually get home? I love e-cycling uh, from a workplace health and safety. I don't have to worry about someone being run over in sunburn <laughs> uh, or coming off their bike. If they do, they're trying really hard, aren't they, John, to fall off an e-cycle? Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, that's actually pretty exciting. I prefer on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for spending the time with this podcast and just sharing your knowledge and views on where education is and where it's going.